Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And this is the record, that God hath given unto us, oops, sorry, given us eternal life, and his life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Let's have a word of prayer as we look at this. Lord, we do thank you for the beautiful morning you gave to us this morning. Rain last night, and the fog lifting to reveal a new day. You are a gracious God. You just keep, keep sending another day for us to serve you. We thank you for the opportunities. We ask that you'll help us to avail ourselves of the opportunities you give us to be a witness to you. And it's with that in mind, we look at this lesson here this morning. Guide us through it. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So we start right off with verses 7 and 8, which are really tied together. Uh, let's look at it again. It says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. So twice in those two verses, we get the idea that there are three witnesses to the truth of Christ's claims, Jesus' claims. Three are on earth, three are in heaven. And that's very significant. Because in both the Old and the New Testaments, the idea is made very clear that any important issue had to be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses, right? We're, we, we saw that in the Old Testament, and we saw it in the New Testament. Let's take a look at examples. Uh, let's look at uh, Deuteronomy 17.6 for just one example. I'm not going to look at all of them. I'm going to list you a bunch, but I just want to see that this is consistent throughout God's Word. Deuteronomy 17, verse 6. It says, at the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses shall he that is worthy of death be put to death, but at the mouth of one witness he shall not be put to death. We're talking about capital punishment. It's, very, it's repeated very similar language in Deuteronomy 19.15. But let's look at a uh, New Testament example, words of Jesus, uh, Matthew chapter 18. Again, I'm not going to look all these up. I'm just going to give you a couple of examples. Matthew 18, verse 16, it says, But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. That's talking about dealing with a brother who's sinning against you. And we see it repeated again. John chapter 8, verse 17. 1 Corinthians 13, 1. 1 Timothy 5.19, Hebrews 10.28, that's just a handful, that'll get you started, look them up yourself. 
So here in heaven, we see the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And on earth, we see the Spirit, the water, and the blood. So there's one that's consistent in both cases. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's consistent in both cases. Why do you suppose that is? No ideas? Jim. Yeah. But the Holy Spirit's used in both, both cases. And I'll put it out for consideration that we need the Holy Spirit to interpret the other two. Without the Holy Spirit, how do we know? We need his guidance, don't we? Now, we've already seen John make that case. That's how I know I'm right. We've seen John make that case. Let's back up to chapter 2, verses 24 to 27, where he says, Let that therefore abide in you, which you have heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you, Concerning them that seduce you. I lost my path there. But the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. That's the anointing it's speaking of there. The Spirit confirms to us the truth of the message that we've already heard from the beginning. And this kind of language of witnesses reminds me of what Jesus pointed to when Jesus pointed to his works as bearing witness of him. We looked at that last time we were together, John chapter 5, verse 36, and again in John chapter 10, verse 25. He talked about, you look at my, you don't believe me? Look at my works. You don't believe me? Look at my works. You see what I'm doing? What do you think? Can anybody else do this? Basically what Jesus was saying. But notice the last phrases of each verse, too. Uh, the last phrases of verse 7 is that, and these three are one. Last, uh, last few words of verse 8 is, and these three agree in one. That's critical. Because when you're making a case, let's say a case in a court of law, let's say you're standing before a judge and you're making a case, you're uh, an attorney, you're trying to, you've called your witnesses, it's very important that your witnesses agree, right? If the witnesses tell a different story, then the case doesn't have a leg to stand on, does it? Well, he says one thing, and he says another thing, I don't know, the you're, at best you're going to have a hung jury. Uh, only when all the witnesses agree can a case be established. And John says that that's the case here. And John's going to stay on this theme of witnesses for the rest of our study here today. That's why I titled it what I did. These are the witnesses of God. By the way, the word uh, translated witness here is a Greek word, martyria. Martyria, I hope that sounds familiar to you. Many of the people who were witnesses to Christ ended up as martyrs as well, didn't they? We better be prepared. If we claim to be a witness of Christ, we better be prepared to be a martyr for him. That's the word, martyria. 
And that in itself, the fact that many of these people in John's day were martyrs as witnesses to Christ, that's a powerful witness itself, isn't it? I'm not going to get into that because that's not really the topic, but I think that's a powerful witness. Martyria, don't forget that word. Because uh, Jesus said, and you shall be my witnesses. Martyria is the word he was using. You're going to be my martyrs. Verse 9. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. Now that's interesting wording. If we read this literally... It says, if you accept the testimony of men, then surely you're going to accept the testimony of God, right? That's exactly what it's saying, if you take it very literally. You see, it's an argument from lesser. You accept the testimony of men, then why don't you accept the testimony of God? It's an argument from lesser to greater. Surely, God's testimony is more important than the testimony of men, right? But that raises another question, doesn't it? What is the human testimony that John's referring to here? If we're, we're talking about you, you accept the testimony, well, what testimony of men have we accepted, John? What are you talking about? Does he have something specific in mind, do you think? Is he thinking back to what he wrote uh, in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 33 to 36? Let's look at that. He's talking about John the Baptist in that particular circumstance. But maybe he's got something similar in mind. John's Gospel, chapter 5. Oops. Here we go. 33 to 36. You sent unto John, and he bare witness unto the truth. But I received not testimony from man, but these things I say that ye might be saved. He was a burning and a shining light and you're willing for a season to rejoice in his light. But I have greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me, that the Father hath sent me. That's one of the references I referred you to earlier. Jesus said, the works that I do are an even greater witness than John the Baptist. The case I'm trying to make here is John the Baptist was a human witness to what uh, Jesus had said. Or is... Is he thinking of himself? Like he wrote about, uh, is John thinking of himself? Like he wrote about in chapter 1, verse 1 of 1 John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which our hands have handled of the word of life. John's saying, I am a witness. I've handled it. I've seen it. I've touched it. I know what I'm talking about, John says. Is he talking about that? Or is he talking about a general statement that, of course, God's testimony carries more weight than any human? I don't care what you're testifying to, God's testimony bears more weight. We've got to ask these questions. What testimony are you talking about, John? Now, I'll tell you, since there's nobody else making any other options, uh, I think it's that last option. I think it's that last option, so I'll repeat it. God's testimony bears more weight than any human testimony. Whether it's John the Baptist or whether it's John the Apostle. I don't care which John you go to. The testimony of God is more significant than any man's testimony. 
I throw the other options out there for you to consider later on. You think about it yourself. But that brings up another question. What's God's, God's testimony that John speaks of here? What's God's testimony? Is it his testimony as heard through the working of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers? Jim, you got another option? That's the next one I was going to bring up. God sent Jesus Christ as his witness to himself, and he sent the Holy Ghost, another one of God's witnesses. Which one are we talking about here? Now, we've seen this kind of language used before in 1 John, after all. You look at it, other commentators. Basically, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm giving you a commentary on 1 John. You look at other commentators. They're going to offer other suggestions. But I believe that God's talking about his testimony as heard through the working of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers. In your life and in my life. I've, I am a witness that God's Holy Spirit has worked through me, and that's God's testimony. I don't do the work. That's God's testimony working through me. I believe that one makes the most sense. Again, feel free to search other things out on your own. Other people will tell you other things. I think that's the best one in light of the rest of the book because it's explained in the very next verse. Let's look at verse 10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. That's me. I believe in the Son of God, therefore I have that witness in myself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. That's why I believe that uh, God's witness through my human life is the witness that he's talking about, no matter what other commentators may say. So here, John's telling us that the testimony of God becomes our own once we have believed in Christ. God's testimony becomes our own. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. Now that's quite a thought to think about, isn't it? God's own personal testimony becomes my personal testimony. I don't claim to really understand that because we're really heading into the metaphysical when we get... We can go into a lot of depth with that, but that's quite a concept. I'm not going to explain it any more than that. But there are a couple of ways we can look at that. One is that, just like we looked at last time, uh, verse 6, chapter 5, verse 6, it says, This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood, and it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. See, the Holy Spirit is an inner witness to the truth of Christ. And that's definitely true, and it's very significant. But verse 10 doesn't actually come out and say that specifically, does it? It simply says that we have that testimony within us. The second possibility, and the one that I believe is the more likely one, the way to look at this is that the testimony that we have as believers that Jesus Christ has done a work in me is the one that's going to be seen and what's going to be recognized. You see, I will testify and I can claim that 
Jesus Christ has made changes in my life over the years. And the rest of the world can see that. Now, that's not the case for those people who have rejected God. John follows that right up. He says, He that believeth not God hath made him a liar. Notice that uh, even though the King James kind of has that in the past tense, it's actually in the present tense. He that believes not God is making him a liar. That's literally how it's read. Uh, King James kind of gives us the idea that it's past tense, that he has already made him a liar. It's actually in the present tense. He is making him a liar right now. Uh, which implies, why, why are you making a big deal out of that, Brother Dan? With each denial, the accusation of God being a liar is renewed continually. Every single time we deny God, we're renewing that. No, I don't believe God, and what's more, he's a liar. See, that's what happens when people deny the true testimony of Jesus. Now, no doubt, John's thinking of the heretics of his day as he's writing this down. They're, after all, the ones who have rejected God's testimony regarding Jesus as his own son. They deny that Jesus is Christ, the Messiah, come in the flesh. He's... He's the Christ, the Messiah, come by water and by blood, like we talked about last week. And when they deny these truths, when they continually keep denying these truths, they make God out to be a liar. By the way, here's a bit of trivia for you. This is the fifth time in this little book, five-chapter book, that John has accused these heretics of being liars or of making God out to be a liar. We saw it in chapter 1, verse 10. We saw it in chapter 2, verse 4, 2.22. 420, and right here. Five times in a very short book. So exactly how do they make God out to be a liar? Because they believe not the record that God gave of his son, it says. When you don't believe the record that God gave of his own son, God has made his own testimony. We just finished talking about that. God has testified, this is my son, hear him. And when you hear the truth of the gospel and you turn away from it, that's the result. Reminds me exactly of what we saw at the beginning of the book, chapter 1. Let's read uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 all over again. We've read it many times. I'm going to read it again. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and is manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. You see, to John, the testimony of God is exactly the same as the message that he's proclaimed from the very beginning. God's testimony is John's testimony, is the same testimony that you and I share. 
It's the message that God attests through His Holy Spirit. It's the message that you and I as believers have accepted and made into a part of our lives. And you see, the heretics of John's day and the world around us have rejected those truths. In verse 11, John cranks it up a little bit more. He says, And this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. By the way, here's another bit of Bible trivia I'll give you. Basically, uh, if you look at this, verse 11, And this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. God is the source of life. We can see, we've seen God as the source of several other things in this book. It's been a kind of a sidebar theme John's got. We've already seen him say that God, God is the source of light. We saw that at the beginning. We've seen God as a source of righteousness. We saw that in basically chapter 2. We've seen God is love. If God is love, he is the source of love. And here we're seeing him, God is life. God is the source of all those things. We've seen them throughout the book. That's just a bit of trivia that doesn't really have anything to do with what we're talking about here today. But up till now, John's focus has been on God's testifying to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Now he's looking at the benefits that are made available to those of us who believe. There's benefits. And one of those benefits is eternal life. God gives eternal life to those who believe on his son. Jim. The, yeah, they were certainly, certainly witnesses to the baptism of Christ. And we kind of talked about that a little bit last week where uh, I made the case that the water that was spoken of, I believe, is the water of Christ's baptism because so many of the people had observed that. Uh, but yeah, you're very, very true. There were many, 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 many people throughout Christ's life saw. It. He was surrounded by multitudes. Even when he tried to get away into a mountain by himself, the multitude followed him. Uh, there was always a bunch of witnesses around Christ to verify the truth of what he was saying. You're right. Uh, so now, yeah, we're looking at the uh, benefits of believing that testimony. And amongst those benefits is eternal life. God gives eternal life to anyone who believes in Christ as God's Son. Now again, uh, I've mentioned it before, and I'm going to mention it now. Eternal life is not just an extension of life to infinity. People have talked about that kind of concept. I mean, the play Faust is all about that. A guy sells his soul to uh, extend his life to infinity, and it didn't go well for him. Uh, Dracula cursed the church, gave up his soul to the devil for extended life for all infinity. H.P. Lovecraft, the alchemist, uh, he gave up his soul to live for infinity. It always ends up as a curse. Me continuing to live in this body forever is not what I want. 
You can pick up any kind of, if I go to the grocery store right now, I bet I can find a tabloid that talks about uh, how to extend life. I don't really want to. I don't really want to. What God's talking about eternal life here is life seen as having Jesus Christ in our life. We've seen it over and over and over. Eternal life is Christ himself. We saw that. We're going to see it. I'm going to steal my own thunder, all right? We're going to see that very clearly uh, in verse 20 when we get there. And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. It doesn't get any clearer than that. I'll explain it more when we get there. All right? I just stole my own thunder. Pretty heavy duty. In uh, John chapter 1, verse 2, we just finished reading that He, the eternal life, was with the Father in the beginning. That's what I'm promised. Not an extension of this miserable life, but life with Christ. Shared life with God Himself through the power of His Holy Spirit. That's a real blessing. Extending this life for infinity is a curse. Many people have theorized on it. I gave you three examples. There's lots more. Let's finish up with verse 12 and then we'll be done. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Because God's gift of eternal life is wrapped up in Jesus, then it stands to reason that whoever has the Son has that life, right? We're going to see that even more clearly when we get to verse 13 next time. I'm not going to steal my thunder on that one right now. Believing in the Son is very closely tied with accepting His claims. When we trust the claims of Christ, then His Holy Spirit indwells us. And when He does that, He gives us the richness and the fullness of infinite life that God Himself enjoys. Do you realize that? The eternal life that is promised to us who believe in Christ is the same rich, vibrant life that God Himself enjoys. Again, that's something to think about too. I don't claim to understand that. Because again, we're getting into the metaphysical and I'm not that good at that. See, it's something impossible to experience as a mere human. I could live for a thousand years and I can't experience that vibrant, that rich, full life that God himself has. No matter how old you live to be, you can't understand that. But those who believe in Jesus have that life, and they have it right now. Those who don't believe don't have that life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Plain and simple, isn't it? Doesn't get any clearer. I hope you have that life this morning. Jim, you've said so much this morning. Would you mind closing us in a word of prayer? Thank you.